Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To find out who was the best Chris? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus. I'm Anthony. I'm Brad. And today, uh, we're going to have a special one today. Today, we're, we're going in a separate direction, separate direction. We might do this for another episode in the future. Today, we're going to compare two television pilots that revolutionized television. We're basically doing network TV versus cable TV. And um, yeah, today we're going to do the pilot of Twin Peaks versus the pilot of The Sopranos. And I'm listen, I'm, I'm, I feel like a proud big brother here where uh, Brad told me one of these shows inspired him to watch the rest of the series because the pilot was so engaging with him. And um, I'm assuming that was Peaks. Yeah, that was Peaks. Yeah, because okay. uh, when you like told me, we're going to do pilot episodes, and you asked me, did you finish watching them yet? And I went, yeah, I've, I've continued one of them. You were like, I knew I was going to get you on one of them. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I said, look, man, if he doesn't continue watching The Sopranos, He'll continue watching Peaks. Have you watched The Sopranos before? This I've episode? seen some of The Sopranos before. I've never actually watched the pilot, though. Okay, I got you. I got you. So this was All the right. first time I actually watched the pilot. I've seen just very like scattered episodes and scenes from The Sopranos, kind of like the stuff where people are like, oh, you got to see this scene from The Sopranos. It's in like right. season three, episode seven. And it's like, well, I'm not going to watch every you know thing up to that point to get to that scene. I'll pull that scene up on YouTube real quick and go, yeah, that's a good scene. That was really well done. Just I agree. watch it out of context. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I, I have done that with some shows. It, it shows why I don't care about spoilers which aren't that many, I got to watch. I have to watch the show up to that point because if it's a show that I know I'll like, for example, Battlestar Galactica, like I told you, I got into that during, um, you know, quarantine. And if you had told me, oh, you got to watch this scene from season four, episode five or whatever, I'd be like, no, nah, I got to watch it up to that because if it's a show I'll be engaged with, I don't want to have any spoilers in my head. Right. And then there's some so, shows where it's like you can cut that one scene out, like uh, Mad Men with the selling of the chocolate bar scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can it's, easily cut that out and everybody should be able to watch that scene. And it doesn't really spoil anything about the show outside of it, but it's such the, a well-directed scene. Is that the one where John – I was going to say John Hain, but his, his, his character's name is Don Draper. Is that the one where Don kind of has a mental breakdown – and talks yeah. about his childhood. Yeah, about like his father and everything like scene. that. And this is what I get when I see a chocolate bar, you know. And I want to bring that feeling to everybody else. Right, and everyone's just staring at him like, oh, well, thank thank you for uh, telling that story. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week. And <laughs> everyone's just like <laughs> so, so thrown off by this little like – like 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 little moment he has and it's such a it's such a heartbreaking moment but you know like in reality like yo i think you just botched the sale mm -hmm. you went off script yeah but um yeah that is a great scene that's a great scene of uh acting and directing oh yeah um so let's start off man let's start off with the uh the big daddy of them all uh well as far as network tv goes twin peaks so um a series that debuted in the uh, 80s. I want to say this is 80s. This is 80s, right? No, this is no, 90s. No, 1990. Like, on the dot, 1990. On the cusp of the 90s. Um, wow, that's kind of ironic, being how much of a turn this show brought with um, TV, network TV shows that came after it. But um, Twin Peaks in the 90s, created by David Lynch and Mark Frost. And, you know, one of the things I love about Twin Peaks is that its premise is like a typical network TV show of the late 80s, early 90s, but its execution is something way different. Um, so basically, there's a there's been a death of a popular high school student by the name of Laura Palmer. She uh, shows up on the shore wrapped in plastic. 
as yeah. my man says in the phone. Like, uh, what, what does he say? Uh, uh, dead, wrapped in plastic. Yeah, it's. I gotta say, one of the best things about this show is the terrible performances of the character, like the line reads and everything like that. Because everything is read very like dramatically, exclamation points on every page, kind of thing. Dude, I we we gonna talk on that because I think um, I, I think you got it backwards, but we'll we'll talk on that. Okay. But um, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you, and um, you know, you have an FBI agent by the name of um, Dale Cooper who comes into town, and uh, he teams up with the uh, the local town sheriff Harry Truman to investigate this death, and then you um. You 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 get yourself sunk into the world of Twin Peaks. You start to learn that Laura Palmer had friends and had love interest, and how some of these love interests and friends kind of conflicted, and one of them may be responsible for her death. And you just get into like the uh, the deep the deep mythology, and you know betrayal and secrets of this town, and uh, what what dark what darkness lies underneath. And uh, it even hints at it even goes at the supernatural a little bit, dude. This is a hell of a pilot, man. It, it is, and it's one of the things that makes Twin Peaks stand out is just how much they build up everything that's going around in this town. So in this yeah. pilot, you learn about the main manufacturing that goes on, which is lumber. You learn about the history of that, how it works, and uh, who owns it, the people that want to own it, the people that hate everybody else you have the fbi Mm -hmm. agent that comes out of nowhere and he's just he seems insane to a point he's so giddy yeah what kind of fabulous trees do you have here yeah i guess they're douglas first they're they're douglas first (laughs) douglas first wow you know like like you kyle mclachlan his his energy brings you into the character of dale cooper oh yeah 100 percent. because even like we should get some donuts and it's just right. every, it, like I said, I love every line read. Um, I, I'm willing to bet that you're saying that that's one of the low points of the show is the acting. No, I would say the acting is not even bad. I, I wouldn't even say the acting is bad acting. I say it's the acting that Lynch wanted out of his characters. Oh, yeah. It, it's purposefully about- done that way. I'm not saying that they got a bunch of like amateur actors and stuff like that, but it's right. the way that it's acted out. It, it just comes off as the same kind of acting that you would see in like Birdemic, you know, with the way people are reading lines and the monotone voices and then the, you know, lack of kind of expression while they're doing like line reads of like anger kind of stuff. I mean, I would go far to say like, yeah, like Birdemic, but I would say, like it was mimicking the soap operas of that time. Yeah. Like I would say Twin Peaks was kind of a satire of soap operas. Like you, you, you have these characters that are ripped straight from a, I don't know, days of our lives or all my children or whatever, but you're putting them in a disturbing plot around the investigation of a, um, a high school's, a high school student's death. And the thing I love about, you know, David Lynch and Mark Frost teaming up is that it's a meeting of the minds of narrative and subconscious. Mm-hmm. Like there's a narrative in this story, but you can tell David Lynch lends his um surreal directing ability to show this narrative, but show it from a subconscious lens. Cause it always feels like something surreal is going on as the film's going, as the, as the series is um going on. Like you don't even know what time, you know, this is set in the nineties, but everything kind of feels, even the diner feels a little 60-ish. Yeah, some, some places feel a little 1950-ish. Yeah, it, the movie feels dated, but it doesn't feel like carbon dated to a certain time period. Oh, I don't I don't think it feels dated at all. I was thinking like the aesthetic of it. Even no, I mean it like you filmed. can tell, yeah, there's an aesthetic of like a time period, but you can't right, tell right. what that time period is. Yeah, the world building of Twin Peaks in this first episode. Like this is a very this is a very dense episode, meaning it has a lot in it. And uh it's kind of impressive how much mythology is unpacked in like 90 minutes. Uh oh, that's right because this pilot was an hour and a half long. Yeah. So it, it's a lot long. It was a double episode pilot because every episode after that is only about 45 minutes long. So 
And that was kind of surprising to me because when I saw like the hour and a half pilot, I was like, okay, so every episode is going to be like that. No, it that that was like a double length pilot versus what we get for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. I, I love one of the things you got to know when you talk about Twin Peaks and how it kind of like changed network television forever is how the tone shifting is like just you you don't find many shows on TV now that 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 knows how to shift dramatic tones like this. Mm-hmm. Like the way it starts off, right? Like that's a beautiful credit sequence in the beginning where you're going through the um you know the oh, lumberjacks, the, trees, the roads the and everything like that. You got Angelo Badalamenti's, um, forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, you know, dreamlike music. And then you transition into, okay, Dead Woman's Body, Washed Up on Shore. Everyone's like feeling it in high school. They're crying. The mother is crying. The father's crying. And then you go back to quirkiness when you go to the the sheriff's office and you got the assistant, Lucy, who says, um, okay, I'm going to use the thing to like transfer the call to that that phone on that on that stand right there. I'm about to do it right now. Says, okay, Lucy, just do it. Okay, I'm I'm about to do it right now. Like like it goes from like serious to dramatic to funny to quirky. Like I love the tone shifting in this in this show. Oh yeah, because right after that it goes to there's been a dead body kind of thing, and it goes right. back to like being very dark, and then it cuts to uh, the high school where you have the kids like dancing in the hallway and stuff like that, and right. Yeah, there's what a great day for a picnic. Yeah, great yeah. day for a picnic. <laughs> hey man, like um like, like I say one of my favorite moments is towards the end where um you got Bobby and uh who's my man that was on the motorcycle? Uh, uh I think James. his name is James. Yeah. It was James. You got Bobby and his boy in one cell and you got James in the other cell across the um hallway because they think they have some they think James has something to do with Laura and he's like, When you least suspect it oh yeah they they just start start doing the barking (laughs) i'm like like, that's such a perfect lynch scene but it just it 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 fits in so well with this quirky dark world that we're brought into um so so this was your first time watching this pilot this is the first time watching this pilot and I, i gotta say i definitely like i've heard of twin peaks uh, I've right, seen right. little scenes of it again from like YouTube clips and stuff like that. I've seen parts of it. And then when the uh, season three came out, it, it was a huge thing that Twin Peaks was back. So mm-hmm. I saw some of that as well, but I never went back and watched like the original 1990s version. Okay. So this was the first time seeing this pilot and I, it, I loved kind of the characterization and stuff like that. Uh, the, overacting i gotta say that's probably what pulled me in was the acting most of all and then the plot kind of kept following along like at Mm -hmm. first the acting i was like this isn't good and then after a while i was like no this is art this 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 is this is fits fits in right where it should (laughs) yeah this is exactly what it needs to be that i like this uh, it was probably about like 15 minutes in or something where it just kind of it faded perfectly in. I was like, no, this is what it's supposed to be. This isn't an accidental. They got some people off the street and were like, just read the script. This is for a pilot. Just read the script. <laughs> but it comes off as that kind of like level of acting. And I, it, the way that it fits in with the themes and with the transitions of like the tone, as you said before, it just works so well. And... Dude. Go on. <laughs> no, I got to say, one, one of the most funniest scenes, I, I agree with what you're saying. One of the most funniest scenes to me is when um, Donna Hayward, her boyfriend, I forgot his name, but he knocks on Donna's door. Donna has already like climbed, climbed out the window to go out with James, I think, or yeah. to meet him at the bar. And um, Donna's boyfriend says to her father, like, hey, is, is Donna here? Or I need to speak with her. And he says, um, she's upstairs right now. And he looks and sees Bobby dancing on the car drinking. Oh, he yeah. says, you boys aren't drinking and driving, are you? And then her boyfriend's like, no, 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 no. Uh, um, we're really beat up about what happened. Um, but, you know, uh, mostly Bobby is drinking. And then the father goes, all right, let me find her. I'm like, dude, they just told, they just told you they're drinking and driving. And you agree to let your daughter talk to these people. I thought he said, no, mostly Bobby's been driving and he's the one that's dancing on the car drinking. That's what he said. Yeah, he says he says we're a little beat up, but mostly Bobby's just driving. Yeah. Okay. 
You said drinking Bobby, the first time, and it's like I couldn't remember which one it was that he said, but I thought he said driving because that just added to the scene of like the guy that's dancing on the car is the guy that's driving. No, no, he's the one that's mostly driving. Don't worry. Right, exactly. That's what I mean to say. Yeah, that's what made it so funny to me. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. and then when he comes back downstairs, she's gone. She went out the window. You have to help find her. And it's like, oh, that is like video game mission right there. (laughs) Dude, even before then, the daughter, right? Like I like the the little sister. I love her because he comes in and says, Where is she? Oh, Dad, listen, I young lady, where is she? Okay, look, you see that window right there? (laughs) He just walks out. (laughs) I was like (laughs) Yeah, it it, oh it's so good just yeah i i i love this one it's it definitely pulled me into the world with a story and kind of like the darkness behind it because you have something going on with the lumber mill that's kind of alluded to you have obviously the fbi kind of like pulling the letter r from under laura's nail it was laura right uh was that yeah that was laura it was but was it also a homegirl that was in the hospital that had that was in a coma? No, was it her they, too? they didn't find one for her, and that's why okay. he was like upset because at first they were like, "We already like cleaned the fingernails for like uh, any kind of like evidence and stuff like that." And he was like, "No, okay. no, that's not what I'm looking for." And he's looking with the magnifying glass. And he's like, "It's not here. Let's go." And you have no idea what he's doing. And then it's when he gets to Laura at the morgue that he pulls out the letter R from under her, like, ring finger or something, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's the letter R. We found right. it. You know, and he pulls out his tape recorder and everything. And you're just like, what the hell is going on with this show? Yeah, he says, Diane, I must tell you about the coffee here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is fabulous. It yeah, I love how his notes are always, it, they make no sense or they're extremely serious. There's no in between. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but I forgot. Uh, what I what I can suggest to you is if you if you want to continue with the show, which I absolutely, I absolutely would encourage you to um, watch the first two seasons. But before you get into the third season, like the revival series that was on, like, I think two or three years ago on Showtime. Yeah. Watch the prequel. Watch the prequel film first. So watch the two seasons, the prequel film, which is Firewalk with me, and then jump into season three. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, 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 that would make it more linear and for you. And wow, man, I wish I was in. I wish I was in your spot, man. <laughs> Starting Twin Peaks from the beginning. That's a. That's a hell of a ride, man. I wish I was in your spot. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's definitely a ride. I'm definitely enjoying it and everything like that. And, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to watch after I finish this. But it'll come down to that because this one, I want to say the second season is like 20 episodes or something like that. It's it, it well, spikes in the amount of episodes because season one is only like six episodes, isn't it? Yeah, season one goes by fast. Season one is probably... I think season three is the best, but season one goes by fast. I got to tell you, the thing about season two, um, towards the latter half, especially after the great episode, I can't wait till you get to this episode, the episode where they reveal who killed Laura, that's one of the best episodes of all time. That hasn't been spoiled for you, right? No, that hasn't been spoiled for me yet. Good, because you need to get to that episode, man. That episode is one of the best hours in network television ever. And it and it's horrifying. But um what I was gonna say was after that episode a little bit, um the story kind of goes into a lull because David Lynch has some problems with the network and how they were kind of trying to hijack the show. So I would say after the reveal of who killed Laura, the the it becomes a bit more zany, but um towards the second season's uh finale, um it gets very good again. And season three and the prequel, well, the prequel film is an acquired taste, but season three is just all great. Because okay. it's, just, it's just Frost and Lynch writing and Lynch directing the whole thing. Um, but yeah, season two can kind of feel like a lull after the main reveal. But um, yeah, man, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm jealous, man. Yeah, and uh, I know they've also talked about apparently coming back for a fourth season if they can get 
the time and everything again. I can see it the way they I mean, it, it's good either way. The way they ended it, it is, is, is good to leave it as it is or to come back. Um, the thing about Twin Peaks is that you can always just pick back up where you left off or leave it at where it is. It's such a surreal show that I can really end at any time. Uh, but I, I can see them doing it right now. Lynch is working on a new series for Netflix called Wisteria or something like that. So I think that's what he's working on now. Yeah, they, they didn't might say they, that was like high on their priority list. It was kind of like yeah. the, if they find like free time and they can get together and start writing again, they're not against coming back to Twin Peaks. It's just they don't have the time or they don't have any ideas for it right now. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I think it, it could happen, but. Um, far as back to the like the revolutionizing part of the conversation twin peaks was a was a cornerstone of network television because i think there's 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 an era where there's before twin peaks and after twin peaks like i think without a show like this you wouldn't have um uh, one of the shows that's on tv right now big sky which i heard that's getting some good reviews um it deals with a lumberjack town and a mystery and a murder and all that and you know but i also think a show like lost wouldn't exist without Twin Peaks. Oh, I, like, you can definitely see the connection between where they got, like the idea of mystery for Lost and everything. There from you this. go. The supernatural and all that. Like Damon yeah. Lindelof himself, who was a co-creator, said he loved Twin Peaks. You can see it in his writing. Um, yeah, I, I don't think a show like Lost would exist without Twin Peaks. And um, there's many others we can name too. Um, it, it definitely developed like a new way of doing story beats when it comes yes. to. You know, yes. telling like a mystery or developing a mystery, developing an environment that's going to kind of give you uh, chills about it a little bit. It, it it definitely revolutionized that because you can see that kind of stuff. Like you said, lost before it, it definitely has that kind of homage to Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um Anything else you want to say about this before? I mean, before we continue, both of these are five out of five to me. Yeah, I mean, this is it, this is going to be, you know, they're both at the top of the list. Uh, yeah, this is a classic conversation we're having here, folks. Uh, I mean, we're still going to do a versus in the end. It's going to be hard for me to choose. But like as far as like ratings, like with something like this, you can automatically believe this is five out of five on both ends. Yeah. So let, let's um, dive into Sopranos because this one, this was another great one. As you just yet. You got nothing else to say about TP? Uh, I think we basically covered everything on it. Okay. All right. Moving on. Sopranos. Now, um, with this one right here, man, um, this is this is this was the revolution of cable television. Well. I think a few shows on HBO were were responsible for the revolution of um, cable TV, but the Sopranos HBO in general revolutionized cable TV, absolutely. just because they actually put a lot of money into it. It was like one of the first like premium channels that you could see like the quality come from their shows. Well, it, it's the money, it's the filmmaking, and it's the um, it's the storytelling too. It's the creative freedom yeah. too. Yeah, it's it the so blank great. check and being told, do what you want to do to make sure that this turns out well. Absolutely. You know, when you mentioned cable TV and great shows, you got Sopranos, you got Wire, you got Deadwood, you got Oz, all HBO shows. You know what I mean? And you and, even have uh, some of the newer ones. Like Game of Thrones would not have existed the way it did without HBO. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely not. You have uh, shows like Barry that are like still smaller shows, but amazing because they get the budget and the freedom to do what they want with it. Mm -hmm. uh, like I know like that. that HBO is like one of the first stations that anybody goes to when they want to create something. Uh, like the people that worked on Invincible, uh, the animated series, they went to HBO before they went to Amazon. Uh, mm. Robert Kirkman uh, with The Walking Dead went to HBO before they went to AMC. So they shot Breaking Bad at HBO before AMC. Yeah, you know, so, I, I, yeah, yeah. It's it, HBO is like the start off point for if you want to be able to make a show to go to them and hope to God that your pitch is good enough to get their attention. Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, that still stands to this day. HBO, uh, as far as it comes to creative, 
dramatic television uh, with no bounds, um, they are the GOAT at that. You know, over time, I feel like the the one cable network that's like really in their ass close to being on their level is FX. Yes. Well, FX, FX is willing to just take a risk on anything. Uh, yeah. They don't really give the budget, but they're willing to go, oh, yeah, we'll give you a show. Because if uh, you go down the line, man, you, you know, Atlanta, Sons of Anarchy, Rescue Me, Damages, um, The Shield, Fargo, like, it's Dave. Just, you know. Dave. They're, they're up there, man. They're uh, up Always there. Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, Archer. It, yeah. FX, I can honestly say FX is probably one of my most watched channels in terms of yeah. like the content that I get, second to Adult Swim. Yeah, Adult Swim's pretty cool, man. Adult Swim is um there was a time where Adult Swim kind of the only great thing on there was Aqua Teen because they had kind of like were in this like little lull, but then with the arrival of Rick and Morty, you know, um even before Primal came along, Rick and mm-hmm. Morty uh, Venture Brothers was starting to get like a little bit of a comeback. Well, Venture Brothers was, only came around like once every three years. It, it was like each season <laughs> took three years to develop. Oh, okay. My bad. Well, I, I think they had like a resurgence that arrived with shows like Rick and Morty. They definitely and, did. Um, Rick and Morty definitely changed things because all of a sudden they had the kind of overall like animation backing again. Because before right. that, they were kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's stuck and like nothing was sticking to the wall at all and rick and morty just came in and completely changed over adult swim and the big link between uh adult swim and uh, hbo time warner yeah owns both of them so you know there you go too about that but uh hold up i know we digress folks but you know that's what we do here um back to the pilot episode of sopranos what revolutionized this for television in general is that you had the villain as the protagonist. Um, you had um, a mobster, Tony Soprano, as the um, lead protagonist of this show. And, you know, people love Goodfellas and Casino and classic mob films. But, you know, it takes the real skill to get you to relate to a villainous mobster. Like when you watch Goodfellas, yeah, you love Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro's characters, but towards the end, you start to kind of like despise them because of how violent and vicious they are. So that when they get killed in the end, you're like, oh, OK, great. That that person's gone. With Tony Soprano, this is a person you're stuck with for the whole show. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to get the audience to relate to this person. And I think right off the bat, they do a great job at that by putting him in in therapy, like, like putting him with a psychologist. And um, you're like, oh, that's interesting. A mobster a mobster talking to a psychologist like the premise of this show is it's 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 offbeat but it's a premise for a show that could become legendary and it is legendary oh yeah um, you got you got to cuz i really think what the sopranos is about i think even overarching um it's about a man that's trying to learn mm-hmm. how to juggle two sides of his family there's um there's um there's the family that is his wife and his kids and his mother, his, his demanding, like, like overbearing mother. And then there's the family of the mob. And and he's depressed. Like, is that not funny? That's yeah. that's analyze this kind of humor, dude. It, he comes across as very real. Like when you go and watch like Goodfellas and stuff like that, The Godfather, yeah. you want to see a mobster. You you want to see that crime syndicate family with uh, the Sopranos. You don't see like that like hardened criminal. You you see a guy that just kind of he's a family man, but he's a yeah. part of the mob. You know, like it's they, subverting. Yeah, so you get to actually see like his reality kind of crumble around him, but uh, and see you know his family going through stress you get to see the business going through stress uh you get to see how he interacts with different people you know like you have the therapy sessions and you have like the the ducks i absolutely love his obsession with the ducks dude his ducks like that leads to a lot of great um deep conversations throughout the course of the series i gotta believe Um, it because they come up like five times throughout the episode they do and, you know, it leaves room in your mind to, like, 
it makes it more than just a mob show because it leaves room in your mind to linger like, wow, I wonder what do the ducks mean in Tony's life? What do, what do they represent? And it really unfolds like an actual, you know, um, I don't want to call it, is it a therapy session or a psychology session? What would you call it? I, I think it was a therapy session. Cause it really unfolds. He says yeah. ther- he's seeing a therapist when he's talking to his wife at the restaurant. Right. Because, I, yeah, I know there's a difference. Uh, my bad. Like, it unfolds like an actual therapy session. Like, well, what does that mean to you? Let's talk more about your mother. What does your mother mean to you? Like, you know, it, it, it makes it interesting. It puts it, like, like, as a level that's, like, deeper than a mob show. And I think one of the key things that makes Tony a relatable character is when he's first talking to the therapist and he says, you know, I just feel like I feel like I came at the end of everything. Like, the mm. good days were gone when I arrived. Dude, everyone feels like this. Like, I feel like this. Like, I, there's always people that feel like, man, I love music, but I wish I was, I wish I came up in the 80s when music was music. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wish I could have like, seen, like, the Beatles when they were, like, doing live shows. You know, everybody has, though, kind of, I wish that I could go back and see this. Right. It's like I, I wish I would have I wish I I wish I saw Tupac live. I wish I saw Michael Jackson live. You know what I mean? It's like everyone wishes that they they were alive and and and, and well during certain parts of their era. Everyone feels like they came at the end of something. So that's what instantly makes Tony relatable because everyone feels like this. And um I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you hijack the conversation because was this your? This was your first time seeing the pilot of this one, right? This was the first time seeing the pilot for this one as well. And okay. I, I I like how it starts off with you, uh, you know, seeing the therapy room and everything like that, and then you see Tony kind of going back into his life. It slowly introduces his family, then mm-hmm. the business, then you start seeing his relationship to like different people. Uh, the car chase kind of scene. Yeah, that was uh, with, funny. I loved that uh, because especially when, uh, you know, he runs him over and then he just parks and then comes out and goes, sir, are you OK? What happened? Right. <laughs> what yeah. are you crying about? HMO, you're covered. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's so great because you get the feeling that, yeah, he's not a good guy, but you see like the good sides of him throughout the episode as well. You know, Mm -hmm. you you see his daughter kind of fighting with uh, his wife. Um, You get that whole like relationship thing uh, with her, like trying to sneak out uh, with uh, the son. You locked my window on purpose. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I um the family dynamic. I don't know, man. I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of family dynamic, but I feel like it was um, I felt like it it, it was it was it was normal. That was a normal yeah. brother. It was and sister. a normal yeah. family dynamic. It, it it doesn't stick out as anything special, but because right. it's so normal for a mobster, it sticks out. I say what does stick out is the relationship between Tony and his wife Carmela. Yes. You know, like like especially that talk when um after he faints for the first time and uh, he uh, he he's about to get an MRI and, you know, she's still upset because he cheated on her with his Gumar. And he's like, wow. Um, he says, man, you think I'm going to be OK? And she says, well, you know, we'll see what we see. Wow. Great, great bedside conversation. Yeah. And then she gets upset. <laughs> great pep like, talk. You know, right. Great pep talk. And she's like, um, you know, I, um, only difference between me and you is you're going to hell when you die. Like you can feel like the sting of that insult, yeah. And then as he's being let, as he's being like carried in, you could tell she kind of like regrets it as she kind of like tries to hold his hand and like wave goodbye to him as he's going in. Like that, that was a very compelling moment. That in, in the restaurant scene, where um, he says to her like, uh, and, and mind you, like the cut of the scene is genius because it goes from him hanging out with his side piece to taking her out to was it the same restaurant? I think it was the same exact restaurant. <laughs> taking her out to the same restaurant and he's about to tell her about you know that he's finally seen a therapist he says i gotta tell you something she leans in grabs the cup he says what are you doing grabbing this so i can prepare to throw it in your face yeah (laughs) like i love their dynamic yeah it it definitely that's another thing is the cutting of uh everything is you see him going to the restaurant uh with his side piece and then it cuts to them on a boat and everything like that and then it Mm -hmm. cuts back to him at the same restaurant with his wife assuming like the next day almost 
Uh, and then there's also the time he saw his therapist when he was there with the side piece, right? That's the time that the therapist was at the restaurant. Um, yeah, when, when, when he when he was with his Gumar, he uh, he ran into a therapist at the yeah. restaurant with her date. Yeah, who, um, he, he seemed like kind of a dick. He seemed like a little bit he of a dick. He seemed like a little bit of a dick, but at the same time, yeah. he was like, we've been waiting here for an hour, and they're still telling us that, you know, <laughs> we're right, five right, people. Right. Like, I can understand where he's, you know, if I was in that position, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit of a dick, too. And, but, then, uh, and then Tony comes in, you know, kind of like uh, shows off and then gets them a table instantly. Yeah, he, like, just points to them, and all of a sudden, like, you see the waiters come up. They're building, you're preparing your table right now, sir, you know. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it yeah. just shows how much power he has. And I love how he uses that power, like, very subtly. And, mm-hmm. like, the uh, cruise tickets to the uh, cook. You know, I can't yeah. take these. You know, you, you got to take these. And That's another great thing about this episode because it shows, like, again, Tony Soprano is not a nice guy. If you continue watching the show, you do see this. But mm-hmm. it shows that he does have some humanity towards people he feels connected to. Like Artie, who runs the restaurant, is his best friend, his childhood friend. He has a conflict because um, his uncle Junior plans to uh, pull a hit out on a former um, on on a, on a on a nemesis in front of his um, high school friend's restaurant. Doing this might cause his friend's restaurant to like go down in sales, and nobody shows up anymore, and he might lose his business. So you know, Tony says, "Okay, okay, this is what I can do. I can have him go out of town to shut down the restaurant for the weekend." That way, you know, this is a perfect way of him trying to balance his two lives. Yeah. His family and his friends and his mob family. You know what I mean? But, you know, that goes down south. And then finally, (laughs) in a moment of wisdom, he just decides, well, just torch the place. Give him an insurance policy to get a better restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He does terrible things, but he does terrible things for the better of other people. It's strange. Like you have the mobster kind of mentality of everything. And you can, he's not a good person by all means. He's not a good person, but he is trying to help the people that are closest to him. Like Mm -hmm. there's even the scene with, uh, him and his daughter, you know, he goes to her baseball game. Was it? Yeah. He goes to the baseball game and, um... and he's making deals in the bleachers of the baseball game at the same time. But then they pass by the church that like his family kind of built up and everything like that. And I couldn't yeah. tell if that was real or if he was just lying to his daughter to kind of like show like family matters kind of thing. What do you mean when he, when he took her? You talking about when he took her into the church? Yeah. I think that was real. I think that was real. He he was telling her a real story, but it made for a great family moment because, you know, he's just going about being a regular dad, listening to her daughter complain about high school problems and stuff. I want to go on this ski trip. Mom's not mm-hmm. letting me. And he has a moment of like, wow, like this is Italian pride like right here. Like forget all the mob stuff. Forget all the stereotypes. This is Italian pride where our ancestors, they came to this country and built something. They designed it. You know, and you can, you, you can see the pride come over her face, too, as he's telling her about it. I say, again, that's where this, this series excels in subversion. Because it makes it more than just a mob story. It makes it more than just a mob show. When you have moments like that where he's explaining to his daughter like, hey, look, let, let's take a moment away from the reality of you want to go on a ski trip and being a you know teenager with inks and take a look at what our people have built here in this country. Like this represents our resilience. Like yeah. moments like that make this pilot, you know, phenomenal. Yeah, I'd say um, like half of the pilot is, you know, him being human and being a person. And half of it is him yeah. being a gangster mobster. Uh, it's... I don't know if the series continues to follow that kind of almost 50-50 line. I'm sure that some episodes sway more toward one and the other. It does. But... It, it, it's 50-50. Okay. Because um, that's it, one it's... of the things that made this stand out the most is that it's yeah. it, it's a 50-50 split. You know? And yes, they kind of merge a little bit at certain points, like him doing uh, business deals at his daughter's baseball game. But he clicks back to the other point like right away you know like ref what are you doing what was that call you know right 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 yeah there's there's him trying to keep the balance and you know it kind of relates to the everyday man like you and me we we go to work we work our jobs but we try to have that work-life balance you know what i mean we try to balance between doing what we do at work 
and keeping that balance of life at home. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I try to balance, you know, doing my job, but also being a caring husband, you know, starting my family, trying to um, get my life in order in my late 20s. And, you know, I'm sure with the same with you, you know, that's that's a little bit of what makes Tony Soprano so relatable. His job isn't the kind of job that we relate to at all, but you relate to him trying to keep all the pieces together. Right. Yeah, you can tell that he cares about his work. He cares about his family. He cares about the people around him. He even cares about the employees of his work because he's trying to help them out throughout the episode as well when they're having some trouble. Uh, his yeah. associates and everything. And yeah, some of it is like we, we got to keep these relations up because of like business reasons. But there's also a little bit of personality with it as well. Like him giving the cruise tickets to the chef and being like, oh, you can get out of town. Like there's a 100% business reason for it. But yeah, there's humanity gotta, behind it. Yeah. I got to say, in contrast to Twin Peaks, where you say, like, um, you know, the, the acting is overacting, but on purpose, dude, the acting in this, the it, acting in so this series point. is so extraordinary. Like, like, you can tell, everyone talks about James Gattolfini's performance as Tony Soprano, says, hey, man, there wouldn't be a Don Draper or a Walter White without Tony Soprano. And it's like, this pilot explains it all to you. Like, his his charisma, you know, his, his subtle, his, like, even subtle cues he takes as Tony Soprano even in therapy sessions like his performance is brilliant man oh yeah he falls right into the character and there's no points where you go oh that felt out of character because everything he does fits perfectly whether it's on the family side or on the business side yeah dude do yourself a favor and if it's not you or someone listening listen listen to a James Gattolfini's interview and listen to how his voice naturally sounds. He sounds like a regular dude. He sounds like a regular American dude. So when you see that and look at how he blends into Tony Soprano with the Italian Italian American accent, you're like, dude, this guy's a phenomenal actor. Like it will it will scare you how he sounds in real life. Is he British? I'm guessing that he's British. No, he's American. He's oh, American. Is he? Okay. Because that's but one I'm thing saying, that always throws people off is like. Uh, people that are like British and come into movies and stuff and they have like the American accent. And then during interviews, they're 100% British, like teen uh, crumpets level of British. Like Dominic, Dominic West from the wire, you know, his British accent like is, is almost masked when he plays McNulty in the wire. Yeah. I, I complete my man who plays Rick in the walking dead. Oh yeah. Hearing you know him I mean? talk in an interview for the first time, I, I didn't yeah. recognize his voice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but no, he, he sounds like a regular American dude, man. When you listen to his interviews, that that's what makes his performance so amazing, how he can slip into that. Um, but what was I about to say? Um, I I love the different subplots in here too, that set it up for future episodes, because when this show ends, it ends as a self-contained piece. There's no cliffhanger. It just ends, you know, Mm -hmm. all the family goes inside to eat and it just fades off. You know, if this could be a self-contained movie. Which is make which makes this pilot so great, but it sets up great subplots, like the one where, um, you know, you have Uncle Junior and um, Livia, Tony's mom, in the car, and he's like, "Listen, Liv, I love my nephew, but he's kind of getting out of line. I might have to do something." And she doesn't disagree. She knows what he's saying, but she doesn't disagree with this. She doesn't say, "No, I don't hurt my son." Yeah, she, she says, just, "Stop talking. I don't like you talking about this." You know. <laughs> Right. But she doesn't like disagree either. Right. She just kind of just sits there like, hmm. And it's like, you know, as the show goes on and um, I, I hope I mean, I, I love that you're continuing Twin Peaks, but I hope at some point you continue this show as well. Like, oh, I probably will. With, it's going to probably yeah. be a little bit before I like pick up Sopranos and continue it. But it's going to be as soon as I go, I should just watch episode two. And then it's just going to be a binge from there. I can already tell. <laughs> Dude, the relationship between him and his mother is like one of the like like darkest mother and son relationships ever, dude. Well, she has this belief that he's trying to just get her in a home so he can forget about her kind of thing. Right. And you can tell that he really does care and everything. He does. And that's what's so tragic because his mom is such a she's she's not a nice person. You'll see it as you continue watching. She's very cynical. I can tell that there's there's the dark cynicism. And um, there's little, there's so many great nuggets sprinkled in this pilot episode that lead up to so many great moments and future moments of the series. Even even with his relationship with um, 
Michael Imperioli's character, Christopher, you know, um, and Christopher, the thing about this show, when the, when the only one mob hit happens where Christopher shoots the guy that has the, um, competing garbage business or something like that. Oh yeah. You know, it's a good moment, but you can tell this, you could tell where, where this is not, this elevates past just the mob series, but that's not, that's not even a peak moment of this, of this show. It's like, oh, that's a good moment. Somebody got killed. It's a mob show, but it's not. It's not. It's not taken as a great highlight. Yeah, they. You know it, what I mean? It's a scene that comes and goes within like three minutes. Right. That tells you that this show means business and it's trying not to fit into like stereotypical norms of uh, oh, this is Goodfellas as a mob show. Like, no, this is something a bit more deeper than that. The mob is just like part of this character's lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it just happens to be his job and the show is about his balance between work family and life definitely definitely uh yeah man um you got anything else you want to say about this um no but i mean as you mentioned before it it, it's so self-contained this would work as like an hour-long movie you could have easily been like this is just a short film and it, it works so well, especially when you have like the therapy kind of come to a semi close with him going, I think I'm I think I'm good now. I don't need this anymore. And then you have uh, it, the family come in. They all go into di- and you have that same shot like from uh, the beginning of the episode of just mm-hmm. just the zoom in on the house and everything. It just right. it flows so well that this could have been a full encapsulated movie, and you would have been happy with it. This still would have probably been a five out of five movie for us if it was yeah, just I, that. Yeah, another thing too is like it's very self-contained, but like um, even in that one moment you mentioned where he says, "I feel good now. I feel kind of good," and uh, he says, "I think the pros at work." She says, "Uh, no, nah, it, it, it takes some time to settle yeah. in. You you still got some time, but you know, I'm glad that you're starting to turn around things." You can still there's still some things lingering with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Prozac takes a couple weeks before it starts actually taking effect and everything like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, man, it's a great self-contained uh, series. And uh, the series creator, David Chase, he really is a pioneer because, um, you know, he initially wanted to make this a two hour comedy, I think. But then, uh, you know, things happen and he shopped at the HBO as a pilot. And uh, yeah, man, I feel like uh, David Chase, uh, he really um, brought forth the world of, uh, you know, great cable television, man. Yeah. Now, here, here's the key conversation here. If we were to do a versus, what, what do you, I think I know where I'm edging. Where are you edging? I I would probably say Sopranos over Twin Peaks. Same. For the pilot. It's it's a tough call, but the Sopranos, it, because it's so self-contained, uh, mm-hmm. it's very easy to be like, if you want to watch the pilot and be able to kind of go, it's not for me, but you're not being strung along any further. It's a mm-hmm. great pilot for that of like, do you want yeah. more of this or are you being strung along because there's a whole thing involved where it ended on a cliffhanger and you want to know what happens next? It's great for that. Uh, the acting is on par. The settings, the characters, the relationship—it's all perfect. Twin Peaks is great, one hundred percent. But Sopranos just knocks it out of the park in every aspect possible. Dude, I say the edge for me is the acting. The acting is the edge for me. Like that's what—that's what made me—that's what will make me put Sopranos over TP because um, everything else you could say about Sopranos, you could say about Twin Peaks. Like great directing. Twin Peaks has that great, um, you know, like like transitions, a, editing, trans, transitions, editing, tone shifting, um, even with like um, self-contained stories, even though Twin Peaks has that cliffhanger, it had to because it was network television. It still feels like a self-contained story. Yeah. You know, there's this mystery, but like for the 90 minutes of duration, there's so much being unpacked and so much given in that pilot episode. You're like, wow, that felt like kind of a movie. You know, so I think the one thing that I put Sopranos over is the acting like Gattolfini, Edie Falco, um, my man that plays Junior, like everyone just knocked it out of the park as far as acting. So that's what made, that's what gave, that's what gives me to give Sopranos the edge. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Sopranos it, in the very, very unlikely case that you need to actually compare these two and say which is better. 
Sopranos over Twin Peaks. Uh, in any other contest, these shows would be ahead of anything else that we put them up against, I'm pretty sure. All right, man. So um, moving on from that, uh, quick little uh, go through. Anything you've been watching recently? Uh, I've been catching up on the last season of Shameless because uh, I absolutely wow, you, love that show. You stuck it out all the way to the end, huh? I stuck it out all the way to the end. It it turned out really well. That first like season was a little rough, but it started picking up from there, and I think it, it did have a couple lulls, Amen. but overall I think it was worth keeping I, through it. I give you a salute, man. I dropped out after season five. I just I, I couldn't do it anymore. It just it was a show that felt to me like, you know, eh, how shameless can you get? I mean, I mean, damn, is there any redemption for these people? Like, you know, I, I dropped out. But hey, kudos, man. For a lot of them, they actually do have some really good kind of closing out of their characters. I can say that. Uh, okay. Others, you still absolutely hate them to every kind of like fiber of your being. Okay. Okay, so uh, you enjoying that so far? Yeah, I, I'm still enjoying it. I've got, I think, three or four episodes to go. So once I finish up those, I'll be all set. Okay, okay. Anything else? Uh, that's basically it. Oh, uh, Bo Burnham's Inside uh, special. Dude, I got to see it. Oh, you got to watch it? it. It's so good. You, you know, the thing about Bo Burnham, um, I, I never really got into his comedy that well. I like the artist Dead song, but um, I really just like him for eighth grade and Promising Young Woman. I, I, I keep hearing good reviews about Inside. I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah. it. Well, I'm also a fan of his. Con- I you remember watching him on YouTube back in like 2006, 2007, when he was like yeah. starting out and everything. Mm-hmm. So it, I've stuck with his career since it started. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I like an episode where he's on um, this is Showtime show. I wish it was still on TV. It's called The Green Room. It's where this uh, yes. comedian Paul, Paul Provenza, he and you know, he talk he he just chats it up and has great banter with a lot of comedians in this in this like little kind of like green room setting with an audience. Yeah, it's basically Bo a Bro- video podcast before video podcasts were a thing. It Definitely. was like just six comedians sitting in a circle just chatting and everything like that cuz uh Bo Burnham's episode is with uh Ray Romano, Mark Marin, Gary Shandling. Yep, Gary. Um, um, that's it. Yeah. So there's That's why I, No, go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of great kind of uh episodes of the Green Room that I highly recommend anybody that's a fan of comedians that hasn't seen episodes because you get to see them kind of just interact with other comedians in a very like freestyle way. There's no like I'm telling jokes, there's no I'm putting out a performance here. It's just them talking. I wish that show was still around, man. That was such a great show. It, like that it episode, lasted only two seasons. It did, it did. I watched every episode. That episode was the one where I got into Artist Dead because I remember Bo Burnham got on the piano and played Artist Dead live yeah. for everybody. And then Mark Marin comes out and says, Oh yeah, that was cute. That was cute. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> like, was... I was like, man, dude, this episode's hilarious. Like, yeah, that's what got me into Bo Burnham, that episode. Oh, and you can also see his quick wit in that one, too, when he's talking about right. one of his favorite comedians. He puts on this uh, black sock in his hand, and Mark Marin goes, well, I already don't like it. Well, okay, it's a white sock, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I love at one point when he, he gets into the conversation and says, um, hey, I just want to come out and say I'm the eyeball, and I say, um, I don't know who any of you are. And then Gary Shanlin says, yeah, the feeling's mutual. Yeah. <laughs> I love that back and forth, dude. Yeah, and you see then, like, a lot of the episodes, too, with other comedians, because they always have, like, a newer guy on most of the episodes, Mm -hmm. um, typically brought on by another one of the comedians of, like, hey, this is somebody that's, like, just starting to do some stuff, and they're big names now, too. That's the funny thing, is some of those, like, newer people on that show are now the big names today. Yeah, Russell Peters, my man from The Big Sick, Um, I forgot his name, but he was on Uh, there on one episode. Najiani. Yeah, some yeah. I don't want to mess up his name, yeah. but he was on one episode. Um, Bill Burr, before he became Bill Burr, was on there. Patrice O'Neill, rest in peace. Oh yeah, um, he was on there. Yeah, man, it was a lot of um, great comedians who were coming out that were starting there, and there were some veterans too. Bob Seek, um, Bob Saget. What is his name? 
Bob Saget was on was on the same episode yeah. with Patrice O'Neill. Paul Mooney, rest in peace, was on one episode. Yeah, as we mentioned, Ray Romano was on there. You know, like yeah. It, yeah. It, they definitely had like the classic comedians on there. They had like the up and coming comedians. It, they had yeah. the staples. You know, it's if you've never seen the Green Room before, uh, not the movie. This is the show. Uh, the yeah, movie is completely different. That's a whole different ball. <laughs> that's game. a whole different thing. We're talking about the show. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely worth checking out and watching because uh, it's it's not so much an interview. I would put it up there, kind of. I'm trying to remember what the name of the one UK kind of talk show where they have the couch where they always have like three celebrities on at a time. Graham Norton. Graham Norton. It, it kind yeah, of a is a little show. bit like that where they kind of just come up with a topic and then they just everybody riffs off that topic and it kind of goes from there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, you know, one of those, one of these great Wikipedia moments. I was on Paul Provenza's Wikipedia, and you know, he's he's a, um, you know, he's a veteran comedian himself, the host of the Green Room. Yeah, he used to um, be an opening act for Tina Turner's, um, you know, her tour. Um, so someone was typed. They had the biography up there, and they said, um, you know, um, he toured with Tina Turner. He had this show at this time and stuff like that. And then you see a line. It's probably erased by now, where someone says. Yeah, he also hosted this one show on Comedy Central. I, I don't know what it's called, but I mean, damn it, Wikipedia. This is Paul Provenza here. This isn't some Joe Blow in comedy. Do your job. <laughs> like someone actually wrote this in his biography. <laughs> oh, I love it. I hope to God that's still there to this day. That would be great. I don't think so, but it was so surreal as I was reading it. I'm like, dude, this, this, oh, somebody wrote that in. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it just, I'm like, the, the, nar- the narrative just shifted to a stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> This is very unlike Wikipedia. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, what have I been watching? Um, I've been watching a lot, man. I just saw The Way Back with Ben Affleck last night. Okay, how was that? I enjoyed it, man. I feel like it was a great lead performance from him, a nice redemptive story. Gavin O'Connor, he makes a lot of good films. He made Warrior with Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte. I like that one. Uh, he makes some pretty good redemptive films. I like that. Uh, it was good. I saw Cruella surprisingly good i've heard good things about it i haven't sat down and watched it yet but i've heard really good things about it check it out man i'd say if you can check it out uh emma stone does great in it emma thompson is the mvp she's the mvp in that one dude what's the day that that one goes free on disney plus or did they not even say anything like that because i know that's one of the premium ones where it's like 30 dollars extra isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you got to wait 30 days or after it's out of circulation in theaters. Um, I don't really know the specifics behind all that, man. I might even uh, go just see it in a theater just for because I have the AMC stubs going again. Go ahead and do it, man. Um, I'm going to wait until mine automatically renews, um, even though I did see Quiet Place Part 2 mm-hmm. in theaters, which, uh, oh, I went back to the theaters, folks. Um, the experience was a little, the experience was a little shitty cause there was some teenagers talking, but, um, movie was solid. Quiet place was solid. Have you been back lately? Uh, I went back for the Scott Pilgrim 10th anniversary. Oh yeah. I forgot. That's your boy. Uh, yeah, I had to do that one. Uh, but yeah, besides that, no, I have not been back to a theater. Yeah. I might go see Wrath of Man or I might watch it at home. Um, I like Guy Ritchie, so I think that's a movie that I really want to see. Uh, I did see Spiral, dude. Surprisingly good Saw film, dude. Really? You know, it it was good, man. It was a very fresh, original entry in the Saw franchise. I was a little iffy about it too. Like I, I know Chris Rock can do good dramatic work because I saw him in Fargo season four. That wasn't what I was worried about. I was mm-hmm. worried about like, is this gonna be a routine Saw film where? You know, it's just basic. You know, you're just watching it for the inventive death traps. But it actually had like a fresh story to it, man. I mean, it's not more than what it is. It's still right. a Saw film. You're not watching this for some Oscar worthy performances or anything like that. But it's a it's a fresh it's a fresh Saw film. You know what I mean? It's like when you went to see David Gordon Green's Halloween. It was a fresh entry in the Michael Myers franchise. Um, I enjoyed it, man. For what it was, I enjoyed it. I'll probably check it out when it comes to streaming or something like that, but I don't think there's anything that 
you'd have to tell me that this is like some monumental film to get me to go to a theater to see it, though. Oh, I didn't go to a theater. I watched it at home. Oh, is it on streaming? Yeah. Oh, I got to um, find yeah, that. It's on, it's, it's on demand now. Ah, I'm sure, gotcha. I'm sure at any Redbox, you could probably still rent it or whatever. Okay. Um, there, there's a means of seeing it. And um, what else did I see? Uh, I saw Nobody. I, I got to watch that one just because it's like the John Wick kind of, you know. It's, it's by the same writer as John Wick, Derek yeah. Kolstad. Um, it's a John, it's kind of suburban John Wick light. Um, I'd say if you like Bob, Bob Odenkirk, see it. I like Bob Odenkirk. Oh, yeah, Derek I love Kulsaw, him. You know, Mr. Show. Um, he does well in the lead. But um, it's kind of a film that's not more than what it is. You enjoy it for what it is. You know, yeah, I, I definitely cool. need to see it just because Bob Odenkirk, John Wick, definitely has my attention. I just yeah, haven't yeah. sat down and watched it yet. I got to do that. Yeah, um, I think that's about it, you know. And um, folks, if you're listening, you can uh, head to eight eight bitwaffles dot com and you can see my reviews of these films. Um, they're up there right now. I'm probably gonna upload the Quiet Place Part Two one right now. And um, me and you. We are uh, we're probably gonna do a dual double feature essay supplement to this episode, right? Yep. Uh right about this episode, uh posted same time that you can listen to this. You'll be able to read that. Awesome, awesome. Uh well that's it for me, man. You got anything else? I got nothing else. I think that wraps up this episode. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Like, share, and subscribe. Uh have a good one.